Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Merry Christmas. You know, I know that a lot of times uh, people, uh, even ourselves, may have the, the tendency to say, oh, Christmas Day has come and gone, and now it's time to put everything away. But this miracle of the incarnation of God becoming human in Jesus Christ is so big, so huge, it cannot be contained on just one day. But today we gather for another important part of the story of the incarnation. The old prayer book called it the Feast of the Circumcision of Christ. And I don't know if it was a theological shift or a marketing shift, but the new prayer book calls it the Feast of the Holy Name. Apparently celebrating circumcision is not as popular as celebrating the naming of a child. Circumcision was a way in which Hebrew children were brought into the covenant. It is very much like how baptism for us brings people into the new covenant, into a life of Jesus. That circumcision was Jesus' entrance into the law and obedience to the law. He who was perfect to the law is the one that we remember. But we also remember that his name is Jesus, a name that means God who saves, that it is God who saves us. I have to say that for the third year in a row, we did not send out Christmas cards. At least this year, we were smart enough not to buy them. <laughs> the previous two years, we purchased Christmas cards and never mailed them. I asked Kristen, how long do we have to hold on to these cards that we are never going to mail? There's a rule in etiquette that says after someone has not sent you a Christmas card for three years, so this would be the third year, you are allowed to take them off of your Christmas mailing list. <laughs> etiquette rules like this reflect our cultural tendencies to have a transactional economy. A this for that. If you send someone a Christmas card, then you have to send them back a Christmas card. Maybe you all run into this with people who give you gifts, and you're like, boy, I don't really want to give them a gift, but they gave me one. And so in our this for that economy, our transactional economy, we then go and buy them a gift. So much of the way that our world works is on transacting with one another. If you do this, then I will do that. But that is not the way that God works. Which is strange because much of our cultural uh, myths and holiday songs around Christmas time reinforce the whole notion of a transactional God. We muddle the good news of Jesus Christ. We muddle the gospel with our own conditions, believing that God's grace really isn't big enough that we have to add 
small print to it. There is no small print, but in our cultural stories, there is. Take Krampus, for example. Krampus is a 17th century Austrian myth wherein a half-goat, half-demon called Krampus would accompany Santa Claus on the jolly sleigh ride in order to scare and terrorize children. Guess if you have been good and a terrifying demonic goat if you have been bad. Somewhere, some Christians in Austria decided this was a good idea. I know, let's take this story about God's unconditional love for us and let's insert a terrifying goat demon into it. This if-then language is the language that Satan uses in talking to us, in talking to Jesus. Satan tells Jesus in the wilderness, if you will fall down and worship me, then I will give you the kingdom. If, then. But in Jesus Christ, there is no if-then. There are no buts. Someone once told me, a therapist said, that whenever you're saying something to somebody and you put a but into the sentence, everything before the but is a lie. I love you, but your room isn't clean. Suddenly, my love is dependent upon a clean room. In God's economy, there are no ifs, There are no thens, there are no buts, there are no prenups, there is only grace. And frankly, this is the message that we need to hear because it is so countercultural to a world which doesn't believe that grace can truly be free. The church today is full of messages about how we need to get our lives in order. Here's a sermon series on getting your finances together, to get your marriage together, to be a better parent. And the reality is I don't need a church to teach me how to deal with my finances. But I do need a church to remind me that God's love is unconditional. Jason Michelli says that you don't need the church to become a better you. How many of you all have made New Year resolutions today? Joel Osteen can make you a better you. Soul Cycle can make you a better you, he says. Your New Year's resolutions can make you a better... Well, they won't. You don't need the church to live your best life now, but you do need the church. You do need to hear the promise of God's grace to be saved. A therapist can repair your life, but your therapist cannot redeem you. Only faith, the faith that is proclaimed by Jesus, God who saves, is the one who can do that. Faith is not about learning how to become good. Though you might become holy in the process of following Jesus, church is learning that we are redeemed despite our failure 
to always be good. St. Paul, writing to the Galatians about a decade after Jesus' death and resurrection, lets us know that God sent Jesus not to make us better, but to rescue us from the notion that we could be good. This is often what Paul wants us to hear, that the law, which oftentimes is correct in how we are to live life, is impossible to uphold, and it can only tell us of our failures. Where Jesus, who is grace-filled, reminds us that we are loved. That Jesus comes to rescue us from the notion that we can be good all the time. Paul writes, when in the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the commandments in order to redeem those who were under the commandments. See, the Apostle Paul knew all too well the grace of God, for he is one who was a persecutor of the church. We hear it in the story the day after Christmas, St. Stephen, who is the first deacon of the church. And he is stoned to death for his conviction and his faith of Jesus. And there is Paul in the shadows watching the stoning happen. But Paul, one day, while on the road to Damascus, is literally knocked off onto his rear end. And he encounters Jesus in a really powerful way. Jesus came to him not because he had his life together. Jesus came to Paul to save him. The angel Gabriel comes to the shepherds, not because the shepherds have their life together, but because Because it testifies to a God who is one-sided, a God who is for us, a God who is grace-filled. There is no if-then. If the shepherds are good, then God will show up to them. If Paul is good, then God will show up to him. God in Jesus Christ tears down those stories that we tell about how God works. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, uses Roman language of adoption. I don't know anybody here, if you have adopted a child or you know someone who is adopted. Um, I have a priest friend of mine um, who, um, after the birth of their first child, um, struggled with conception of a second child, so they entered into the adoption process. And as soon as they were told, yes, we have a child for you, his wife comes back from the doctor and says, I'm pregnant. He says, if you want to be honest, I was terrified that I could not love that child as much as the one that was born from my wife. But the moment that I went to the airport and my daughter was placed into my hands, there was no doubt that I loved this child every bit as much as the child that was born to my wife. And so Paul uses this language of adoption, that we are loved every bit as much as a biological child. Though the promise came to the Jewish people, we Gentiles who have been adopted are loved every bit as much. 
Our cultural stories get it backwards. God comes to help those who cannot help themselves. The Christmas gospel according to Galatians is that our salvation is not to be found within us. It is not a ten-point plan to be a better you. It is not New Year's resolutions. The Bible does not tell us do better, be better. The Bible tells us you have been rescued. We are rescued by Jesus, God who saves. Amen.